Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on YouTube, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Join the Facebook group. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight, Penn State Hockey Collegiate All-Star Kevin Adams, Ball State athlete Paul Havocott. And, of course, tonight we are joined by our second female panelist in over 50 shows. So it took us that long, but we got there. She's a member of the Greater Pittsburgh Women's Hockey Team and, of course, a hockey mom of two, Christy Irwin. Our special guest tonight, he's a former NHL player, played 16 years with the Canadians, the Flyers, the Penguins, Kevin's favorite team there. He's reached a 50-goal mark three times, led the league in plus-minus two times, member of the World Cup and Olympic All-Star teams. He's an NHL first All-Star two times, second All-Star three times, won the Stanley Cup in 93 with the Montreal Canadiens, and he's a five-time NHL All-Star, John LeClaire. John, thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. How's everybody? Great to be Good. here. It's awesome to have you here. Tonight's debate is going to be the greatest cup winners, 2010 to 2019. So this is the last decade that we haven't covered yet on this show, so we're taking care of it tonight. Afterwards, we'll have a Q&A with John about his career. And uh, we're going to start with the 2018 Capitals, and that's going to be me. I don't think I've ever started a show, so this will be interesting. But we're going to talk about the Caps here. So they won – 49 games in the 2018 season with 105 points, and that was good enough for first place in the Metropolitan. And if anybody knows hockey, the Metropolitan is usually stacked. So that's a pretty impressive feat. Um, They're plus 20 during the regular season. That's not the best they've ever been, but still a solid number. Um, Offensively, of course, everybody knows they're led by Alexander Ovechkin. His 49 goals led the league that year. he also had uh, 87 points, which put him in the top 10. You got uh, Knutsev with 83 points and Backstrom with 71 points. So pretty good top three players are scoring-wise. And then, of course, on defense, you got John Carlson. He chipped in 61 points and led all defenders in points that year. Um, and then defenseman Matt Niskanen was the plus-minus leader on the team. He had a plus 24. And that was good for 18th overall in, in the NHL that season. So you had the offensive defenseman with Carlson, and then you got Niskanen who could, you know, keep your back end protected there. So, and then, of course, in goal, you got Brandon Holpe. Now, this was kind of a, a down year for him, believe it or not. Um, he only had a 907 save percentage. His goals against that year was 2.99. 
So it was a tad bit of a down year, which, you know, because of that, they, they were putting in um, uh, Grubauer quite a bit, Philip Grubauer. So he started in goal, and he had a 9.923 save percentage, and his goals against was 2.35. So he actually outplayed Holpe during that regular season that year. Of course, Holpe was coming off a year prior where I'm pretty sure he won the Vesna, or he was at least top three. So it was kind of a bit of a shock um, when they go into the playoffs and game one against the Columbus Blue Jackets, we don't see Holpe in there. It was Grubauer. They went with Grubauer, and that, that was – this is part of the adversity that this team faced going into the playoffs that year. So they're up against the the Columbus Blue Jackets, the seventh seed, because the Capitals got the second seed. And they lose the first two games with Grubauer and goal. And that's when they make the change. This was their first getting over their adversity. They put in uh, Holpe back in goal, and they, they sweep. They win four straight after that. So they recover. It was a big, big comeback for them. They played really well after they made the goalie switch, and sometimes that's all it takes. Then we go into the second round, and they're facing the Pittsburgh Penguins, who have been their arch rivals for 30 years, going back 30 years. Um, always, always would have a hard time with the Penguins. In fact, they had lost to them two years, the last two years prior in the playoffs. So, we take a look at that series, and it was a, a very close series, but it ends up going six games, and the Caps overcome their rivals, four games to two. They get the monkey off their backs, go to the cup finals, and they got one more obstacle to beat, and that's Marc-Andre Fleury, the man who all those years for the Penguins was shutting them down. They take them four games to one. So the Con Smythe goes to Ovechkin. Deserves. I could have seen it going to Holpe, but, you know, it's Ovechkin, so we're giving it to him. So that's the Caps from 2018. John, what are your thoughts on Ovechkin? I mean, is your opinion maybe the greatest scorer of all time? And, you know, that Caps team finally getting over the hump. Well, I mean, uh, you kind of laid it out there pretty well. Uh, the Caps, they were very good for a long time, and they couldn't they couldn't get to the finals. Uh, they couldn't get by Pittsburgh, what it amounted to was, you know, with Sid and Malkin and that crew. Um, but uh, they broke through. Uh, they made the most of it. They, you know, they, they capitalized on their opportunity. Um, but, you know, part of that was Ovechkin's leadership. Um, the guy's got a will to win. Um, I think you see that in his, you know, drive to score. Uh, the guy looks like he scores his first NHL goal every time he scores. He's so happy. So it's like, um, you know, that's in him. You can see it's in him. That goal scoring gives him a rush that he just, he loves that high. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just a competitive nature. Um, during that run, you know, like any good run, they had a lot of good, you know, heroes that really stepped up their game. Um, but Ovechkin, he was there and he was their leader and, and he led the way, uh, I thought, um, when they won the cup that year. Paul, you're representing the, the Penguins here tonight. I mean, what, what was it to you when you saw the Caps finally overcome the Penguins? Was is it shocking? Well, I mean, it was shocking, but it's it's almost like waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, we'd beat them so many times in a row, and you kind of know the law of averages and statistics that it was going to be their time, but it's unfair because when it was their time, I still wasn't happy about it. It was their time, and Ovechkin played phenomenal, and just like John said, he was like a child when he was being interviewed. He couldn't even understand him half the time. He was, you know, having such a good time. But, yeah, I mean, they're bound to win at some point. Still disappointed when they did, though. Second best interview I've seen other than uh, Kucherov this last this past season. 
All right, let's move on to the 2016 Penguins. Okay, I went with the 15-16 Pens season. This was the 10th consecutive season the Pens qualified for the playoffs. They finished sec uh, second place in the Metropolitan Division at 46-26-8. Uh, As Mike mentioned at the start of his weak argument about the Capitals, the Metro Division is pretty stacked usually. So with star performers like Crosby, Latang, Malkin, and Kessel, their home record was really consistent, actually, with the road record. I think it was a difference of like three or four games, but it was pretty uh, steady throughout the season. Their biggest challenge was, you know, I can identify here, uh, they replace, they're led by Mike Sullivan and replaced Mike Johnston in December. So they began the 2016 Stanley Cup playoffs on April 13th against the New York Rangers. And so... The Rangers kind of are to the Penguins in this scenario for the last couple of years that the Pens are to the Capitals. The Rangers had eliminated in the playoffs the two previous seasons, so they finally beat the Rangers this season in five games. In the second round, the Pens defeated the Washington Capitals in six games. We've kind of talked about that already. The Pens then go on to their first um, Eastern Conference final since 2013 against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I also live in the Tampa Bay area, and I remember – this being a pretty uh, hot topic of contention with me and my friends. So the Lightning have been good for many years, and so I was nervous about this. The Pens defeat the Lightning in seven games. It takes it all to the seventh game, despite trailing the series 3-2, and that's when I was really struggling is at that 3-2 mark. Um, so they, it's their fifth birth to the Stanley Cup after that victory, and in the final, the Pens defeated the San Jose Sharks in six games to win the franchise's fourth league title. That San Jose Sharks series didn't go as long as the uh, Lightning one did, but it was intense. I, I don't get to watch a lot of the Sharks, but I was shocked at how good and solid they were. It didn't look like they had any weak spots. I think Eddie Vedder sang the national anthem. It was like a star-studded deal out there, but it was crazy. So that season was pretty good. It had some adversity. I love this season. They overcame the odds of the coaching change. Had an unbelievable goalie tandem in Murray and Fleury. Uh, and this was the, you know, first of the back-to-back -back cups. And so Crosby led that season. He had 36 goals. Latang led the season with 51 assists. Crosby was a scoring leader with 85. And uh, Latang spent most of his time in the penalty box with 66 minutes. And then they, like I said, they had the Marc-Andre Fleury, Matt Murray. And I think both goalies never recovered after they were split up. So this was my favorite season. John, the coaching change is never an easy thing. And to go with a rookie goaltender in the playoffs, I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Um, well, you got to go with your hot hand. So, I mean, you nowadays, I mean, they, they'll throw a rookie in there, I think, a lot quicker than, you know, back 20 years ago. I think, uh, you know, these kids are more prepared, uh, mentally tougher. So I, I think that wasn't that big of an issue for uh, for Murray. Um, I do remember the coaching change. Um it needed it. Uh, there's too much talent there for the things to get stale and stagnant. Uh, they brought a nice young voice in. We did a really good job, I thought, of, uh, you know, getting these guys um, the freedom for the structure they needed. Uh, and I think you saw that, especially a lot with uh, Kessel's uh, offensive output. You know, I thought uh, they really tapped into something there with Kessel really well. Chris, do you think Crosby and Malkin got one more left in them? Oh, that's tough. Um I mean, I'd like to say, I mean, I think so. And I think it's it's hard for me being from Pittsburgh to kind of um, to bet against maybe two of the best that have ever played, right? So I think they still have another cup in them. 
It'll be interesting to see. I mean, Latang's getting up there too. John, were you there for the rookie season of Crosby? I was, yeah. yeah uh, Latang, Crosby, that whole rookie season, and then Malcolm the year after. Did you think they were going to become what they became uh, on first impressions? Um, there was a different feel when Sid walked in the room to another rookie coming in, that's for sure. Um, so, um, you know, Sid's one of those legendary players that you knew that uh, his days coming with multiple championships and Art Ross is the whole game. Yeah. Great player still going. We'll, we'll see. He'll probably be on Team Canada again here in the Olympics. So let's move to the 2014 Los Angeles Kings. Bernie Nichols would be proud of this one. Another guy who's been on our show. <laughs> he would. So uh, they finished regular season 46-28-8. and eight. That was good for 100 points. Third place in the Pacific Division and sixth in the Western Conference. They had a 32, a plus 32 goal differential. Uh, they went 16 and 10 in the playoffs. Um, they had strong defense, great goaltending uh, that pushed them through those playoffs. And the offense was slightly better th this year than it was uh, in the 2012 Cup run uh, that they had. Um, but the main focus of this team was pretty much all around play, defense, and goaltending. They uh, they initially fell down to the Sharks 3-0. Uh, which is one of their biggest rivals uh, in the first round. And they came back from that deficit uh, to beat them in, in seven games. And that seventh game was on the road. Um, that made them the, only the fourth team in NHL history to come back from a 3-0 deficit uh, in the NHL playoffs to win a series. Uh, then they played the Ducks, um, who were first place. Um, after that, uh, they played the defending Stanley Cup champs, who Christie's going to represent next. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks, both of those series, uh, they went to game seven as well. Um, then they ended up clinching the cup against the New York Rangers from the Eastern Conference um, in five games. And that fifth game went into overtime. Um, but they became the first NHL team to advance to the finals after playing 21 games. This is their first three series, went to 21 games, first team to do that. Um, they are the first NHL team to win three game sevens on the road to get to the finals. Um, and then this was their second cup in three years. I feel like their road uh, in the playoffs was definitely the hardest traveled um, out of all the teams we're talking about tonight. Um, as I'd mentioned, they played the second place Sharks, first place Ducks, the defending Stanley Cup champs. Um, two of these teams finished the regular season with more points than them. The Blackhawks in 2013 were on pace to get 128 points. So we're talking about teams that, were basically guaranteed to, to beat them, um, and they and they took them down. Um, now, in 2013, the Hawks finished uh, with 77 points. It was a shorter season, uh, only 48 games. Um, but they were, like I said, they were on pace to get 128. Um, they had a great all-around team. The highest point player, though, only had 70 points, and their highest goal total for a player was only 29 points. So this shows, like, they were a good all-around team. Um, solid defensive game, great goaltending in 49 games, got quick play. He had a 2.07 uh, goals allowed average, 91.5 save percentage. He won the William Jennings Trophy for the goalie with the fewest goals scored against them during the regular season. Uh, and they had only four players that were in a minus during the regular season. Um, this team, I, I just I feel like they had a harder battle than all the teams we're talking about. They had a great all-around team. Uh, it wasn't a team that finished first or second in division like the rest of your teams. They were the underdogs going into the, the, the playoffs, and they pulled it off. And going three game sevens in a row to get there, that's insane. 
John, is Jonathan Quick, did he have the best playoffs of any goaltender we're talking about tonight, in your opinion? Um, that was an incredible run. And uh, just, you know, the way Willie, uh, the way Justin Williams came through and just how he established himself uh, as a clutch player during that whole run, um, it was, as a hockey fan, it was awesome to watch. Um, still knowing some of those guys that are playing uh, that roster in. Um, when you look at like the Kopitars and the stuff like that, those, those guys that were just getting going, the talent they had, um, they had a, a strong 20-man roster. Uh, it, was, it was a fun team to watch. Kopitar was a stud. Dustin Brown was a very good player as well. Both of those were in our LA Kings Top 5 show, so check that out in the archives, people. All right, so we're going to move on to the 2013 Chicago Blackhawks, our final team tonight. Yeah, so Mike, the, the Blackhawks came in hot and they stayed hot that season. They finished uh, with a 36-7-5 and record. It was a lockout year, so the season was shortened to just 48 games, and the Blackhawks really got out to a jump start early. They set a new franchise record uh, starting the season with six straight wins. A few weeks later, they set a new NHL record with a 17-game unbeaten streak and then set a new franchise record with a 10 consecutive wins. Their streaks continued, and they went on to extend records for the most consecutive games without a regulation loss to start a season and set a franchise record for the most consecutive wins when they went 24 games at 21-0-3 and 11 straight wins. Their unbeaten streak was ended on March 8th with a 6-2 loss to the Colorado Avalanche. But that same season, the Blackhawks were able to record their first shutout since 2011 and finish the season with a total of seven. Ray Emery then became the first NHL goaltender to record an impressive 12 straight wins to start the season. And Emery and uh, fellow goaltender Corey Crawford um, allowed only 102 goals that season, and they went on to win the Jennings Trophy uh, for allowing the fewest goals scored, which was the fourth uh, Jennings Trophy for the franchise. Even the head coach set a record that year when he won his uh, 649th game. So the Blackhawks became the first uh, team to clinch a playoff berth that year when they defeated uh, the Nashville Predators on April 7th. That win guaranteed them at least a seventh seed finish in the Western Conference. Five days later, they won the Central Division, secured a worst-case three seed. Um, and then if you fast forward five more days, they went on to clinch the number one spot after the Ducks' overtime loss to the Blue Jackets. So they finished their season with 77 points and secured the uh, franchise's second President's Trophy, and then they earned a home ice advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, the Blackhawks had their fifth consecutive visit to the Stanley Cup playoffs that year. They beat Minnesota Wild in, in five games in round one and then advanced to the Western Conference semifinals where they would face the Detroit Red Wings. Chicago ended up winning game one, but then lost the next three. Uh, so after game in game six, I'm sorry, after a successful penalty shot uh, from Michael Froelich, he actually became the first player in NHL playoff history to score twice on a penalty shot. So the Blackhawks ended up winning the series in overtime of game seven and advanced uh, to the Western Conference Finals, where they would actually face the defending cup champions, the Los Angeles Kings. So they were able to eliminate the Kings after a double overtime win in game five. Uh, Patrick Kane actually scored the game winner and earned his second NHL uh, playoff hat trick. Um, after that, they, they advanced to the finals. Obviously, they faced the Bruins in a tough series. Game one of the series went to triple overtime. Uh, Chicago did come out on top, but would then go on to lose the next two. They rebounded and won games four and five, and then they hit the road for Boston for game six. 
Uh, so they were down one nothing early, but Jonathan Taze ended up tying it in the second. The Bruins then took back the lead in the third and went up 2-1. With under two minutes to go, the Blackhawks got hungry and Taze uh, fed the puck to Brian Brickle to tie it with a minute 16 to go. And then 17 seconds later, Dave Ballin scored the game winner uh, and Chicago won their second cup in just four years. So it was the fifth for the uh, franchise. Patrick Kane was awarded the Conn Smythe Trophy as the MVP for the playoffs. He became the first American-born forward and fourth American-born player to ever win the award. Uh, he also led the team in assists and total points that year and then tied the team captain, Jonathan Taze, with goals. So the Chicago Blackhawks, great head coach, Joe Quinville back then. You know, he's not there now, of course. But, John, what are your, what are your thoughts on this team? Did I didn't see any weaknesses in them. Kane, Taves, uh, they were just stacked up front. And in the, in the back, they great defensemen, too. Oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name now. But, um, Keith and uh, Seabrook yeah, and Keith. those guys. Uh, yeah. They're, um, they're a solid team. They were, they, were, they were a great team. I mean, um, you know, Taves and Kane, 1-2 is, is deadly. Uh, those guys, they had quite a run there from 10 till you know, they're still doing it. They're still doing it pretty well now. Um, but those teams were stacked, like you said, uh, I thought they got a great performance out of Corey Crawford. I don't think people really knew what Corey Crawford was at that time, but uh, he played really well. And um, like I said, you know, you mentioned they were they, they had a good core D, and uh, they had the offensive, and then they had the toughness like Bowen and Brickle and some of those guys that uh, that you need in the playoffs. Uh, they had the grit and the skill, so um, they were they were an exceptional team. Kevin, let me ask you: We never got. The Kane Taves versus Malkin Crosby matchup in the Stanley Cup Finals. What way do you think that would have went if that occurred? I think it would have went the same way it went in '92 when the uh, Pens faced the Blackhawks. Um, I think uh, well, one Crosby's better than than both of them. Um, it's like a two-headed monster. You put Crosby and, and Malkin on the power play. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, Kane is a great player, um, and, and so is Taves, but um, I don't know. It's kind of hard to – for this 2013 team, I just hate that it was a shortened season. I feel like there should be an asterisk next to that cup um, because who knows if they had to play a whole season, if it still would have had the same same result. But uh, I would take definitely Sid and Gino over Kane and Taze any day. Well, it was a shortened season, but, I mean, the Blackhawks during this time period – and really, even till today, we're dominating Crosby and Malkin in the regular season. The advantage in the regular season was definitely Kane and Taves. The, so. the Pens, the Pens finished with seventy-two points that season. No, 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 like no. I'm talking, I'm talking head-to-head in the regular season. Oh, throughout, that's true. Throughout yeah, they the were, yeah, they were beating us. Yeah. So, all right, let's, had a better, better goaltending around that time, though. They did. They did. Let's move into our vote tonight. Paul, you're in my upper left corner. You got the first vote. I'm going with Christie's Blackhawks. I disagree with Kevin. I think a shortened season is more of a wild card than anything. Plus, it's hard to argue. They had a record. They shattered all kinds of record that season. They, they seemed very dominant. And I was surprised by your argument, Kevin, of your team, because when I had the Marlins and they were the underdog, you, you peed all over that. And now you're arguing an underdog. Christie's team was dominant, and uh, they had a great season, shortened or not. Christy, you can go next. Uh, you can't vote for your own. Oh, my. can't vote for my own. Uh, can I pass? <laughs> no, I can't. 
penguins. penguins. I know. I got to go with That's the penguins. The 15, 16 penguins. That's what you want to say. Yes, I do. I do. I'm going with the penguins. Kevin, go ahead. <laughs> a lot can happen in a full season there, Paul. Many injuries can Agreed. happen. Agreed. But a lot can happen summers. in a shortened season. Weaker teams mm. can be good, too. No. So, um, my team had the hardest road. Uh, Y'all are forgetting that. But, anyways, yeah, I'm going to go with the 18, the, I'm the going cap, with the 18 the caps. The Capitals had a pretty hard road, too. I'm just going to throw that out there. But Yeah, it's, but they also finished first that season. I thought you were a Penguins fan, Kevin. Good Lord. <laughs> All right, so I'm going next here. I did not vote. Or the Penguins didn't win our show of the 90s, and they didn't win our show of the 2010s or the 2000s. So I think I have to vote for the Penguins this time. And I'm, I'm, I truly believe that when they made that coaching change, pretty much from there on out, they were unbeatable. They just rode through that regular season. They were like out of a playoff spot or something, and they end up second in the Metro. And then they just they, – they even beat the Capitals in six games. It didn't even go seven. So I, I'm I'm taking the Pens. John, who are you taking? Your vote. Uh, I guess I am new to this podcast stuff. Um, if I had to rank them, I'd put Pittsburgh last out of that group. Um, I'd put Washington – and then, uh, to me, the second would be uh, the Blackhawks. And for me, that best group of, is the, the L.A. Kings. Um, the way those guys grew up in the playoffs, uh, three game sevens all on the road. Um, it was just – it was a great story. Uh, it wasn't a fluke. Uh, they, had, they had the talent. Uh, those guys came together at the right time, and they just uh, – you could see those guys all grow up and just get that experience and just really take over that, that run. Uh, it was fun to watch. So that's one for the Kings tonight, one for the Hawks, one for the Caps, and two for the Penguins. There you go. <laughs> that's why John's the professional and we're not. That's right. You that's right. voted for the right team. <laughs> I was a fan at that time. That's just a fan. <laughs> I just have a hard time voting against Crosby and Malkin, especially when they went back-to-back. The Blackhawks couldn't do that and the Kings couldn't do that. So that's kind of my take on it. But let's move on to our Q&A. Paul, your team got two votes, so you get the uh, first question tonight. John, I was reading, and it kind of was making me smile. I, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, but it was called uh, Coot Field Arena. Is that how you pronounce that? Can that you tell us correct. some? Uh, can you share some memories about how that got started and, and your playing time there? Um, well, it seems weird, but now you're you're old now. So, like that was back almost 40 years ago, and. Uh, you know, we had a rink. Uh, it was just a barn that they made up, uh, dropped some boards around. They threw sand down, and then they froze it. Um, so uh, it was kind of a makeshift thing. We had a tractor that had a contraption on the back that did the ice. Um, it wasn't glass. on It was a chicken wire that was on the uh, <laughs> top of the boards. Um, but it definitely had character. Uh, I played my youth hockey growing up there and thought nothing less. You know, to me, a sheet of ice was just heaven, and it didn't matter. But, uh, I was concerned about the chicken wire. Did that is that as bad of an idea as it sounds, or am I missing something? Things were, you know, guys weren't moving the speed they are today. That's for okay. sure. <laughs> chicken wire. So, um, but still, yeah, you know, you'd see guys get fingers caught in there. The big thing was those cages back then had the big hooks on the side, so you could see like little kids getting run up with their helmets and stuck on the cage. Yeah, and stuff like that. it's kind of fun. Christy, go ahead. 
Um, John, I, I think I wanted to, to kind of ask what it was like to play in the Olympics and how that differs from playing in an NHL game. Yeah, um, it was a huge honor to be able to play in the Olympics, represent your country. Um, when we first went to Nagano, um, you know, it was it was awesome. We were coming off the World Cup victory. Uh, we were super excited. Um, Nagano didn't turn out as, as we hoped, but um, the experience of being there, uh, just being in the on campus and in the cafeteria with all the other athletes, um, and you you sit down, and you you meet a you know a, a cross country skier, whoever a downhill skier, and just kind of chat and just hear their story and stuff. It, it was it was really awesome. Kevin, so I want I want to take you to two thousand five, two thousand six, um, after the lockout year. You you come over to the Pittsburgh Penguins um, after playing. For- Playing against us in our biggest, our biggest rival, uh, Philly. Um, but the start of that season, that roster, on paper, that roster should have dominated. And I'm just curious as to what your take is on on that year and and how everything went with that team. Um, and was it the role changes? Because I think that's the first year where they changed some of the roles and took out the two line pass. Um, so just kind of what, what what was that what was going on that season <laughs> with the pens? I think it's paper has nothing to do with age and you know the time you are coming off a lockout. Um, some of the older guys had trouble coming off the lockout, being in shape and ready to go again, and jumping right back into it. I think you noticed. Um, you know those names you talked about on that list were all probably thirty or thirty two and above. They were on the older side. Like with um, Ziggy, myself, uh, Rex, Mario's yeah. I mean, forty. Yeah. So um, it just didn't gel for some reason. It didn't work. Um, you ha- it was you had extremes. You had kids that were coming right out of Wilkes Barre, and then you had guys that were ten year vets. There was there wasn't really a whole lot of middle room there, um, and it was just it was a weird dynamic. Uh, I think Eddie O was coaching. Um, that didn't go over too well either. Um, just. It didn't. It didn't take off well. Mario got sick, kind of put a big wrench in things, and uh, just went downhill from there. Do you think John, that that two line? Sorry, sorry, real quick. Do you think that taking out that two line pass roll? Do you think that hurt? I don't think it hurt. I think it opened the game up, and you know the way Mario wanted to play, and the way we wanted to get Sid exploding, and with Gonch back on D. Uh, you know, we had some guys that could move the puck, so I don't think it was a deterrent to. To the, to the lineup the way we wanted to play. Uh, I think it more had to do with some age of the legs that we had on, on the top end and the experience on the bottom end. So, John, you mentioned the World Cup earlier that the United States pulled out a victory in. I mean, Richter was fantastic. Mike Madonna was the man. Were you guys, like, kind of, like, surprised that you won it? Or, I mean, because, you know, it's always been – USA before that time was not doing very well in that tournament. So what was the, the thoughts of the team before the tournament started and, and then winning it? What did that mean to you? Uh, the thought was we're going to win. There was no hesitation. There was no intimidation uh, of Canada, nothing to that effect at all. Um, we all got there and it was we're here to win. And that's, you know, Ronnie made it. Ron Wilson made that clear right from the start. And, uh, I mean, that was the mindset of every player. Um to me, that was one of the, the best times of playing uh, in my career. Uh, that month we had together and uh, just what we went through, 
the way it turned out, uh, it, it was awesome. It just, uh, that group of guys, it was special. Um, they, uh, just everybody got along really well. Uh, we played really well together, I thought too. And, uh, it just, it made it to be a lot of fun around those guys, uh, for that month and, and to play for your country on top of that and, and to beat Canada in Montreal. Um, yeah. and it worked yeah. out pretty well for us. All right. One more each, boys and girls. Pick out your best question. Go ahead, Paul. Oh, you're on mute, Paul. I know, I know. I, I'm just trying to find the button. In a prior show, I represented the Legion of Doom, and uh, I won, of course, because the Legion of Doom is, is awesome. But uh, I was reading so many details on that, and I'm I'm trying to figure out a good way to ask you this. So let me finish here. You, I know Detroit, there was an upset there, and then there were some player-only meetings, and there were some coaching statements. So really what I'm asking is, as you look back on it in retrospect and you were in that time, did you did you think that that year was going to be the last year of this? Or did, was it the end was kind of foreshadowing things and you kind of expected it? Or was that just as shocking to the rest of us fans that that ended? Um, well, when we lost to Detroit in 97, um, you know, obviously when you lose, there's everybody wants to know why. And you go through the whole gamut of stuff. But never did I leave the ice thinking that that was the end of, uh, you know, Michael, uh, Eric, and I. Um, I was really surprised when Clark, you know, pulled that, uh, the Grattan thing off with, uh, with Tampa. Um, turned out to be a little bit disappointing. Um, just, I think we had many good years left, the three of us. Um, the problem was, you know, the, when we got to Detroit that time, we ran into a dynasty. Like people, we were rolling the playoffs. We felt good, but that Western Division, uh, Colorado and, and Detroit were on a different level. Those two teams were, were just that much better. And, uh, you know, Detroit figured it out and they were dominant. Um, but yeah, the, the spring cleaning stuff, uh, it was, it was surprised how far it went after the, the cup loss. It's funny you, you say that because, uh, we had one of your former teammates on Sean Pody and we, we asked him about that cup series and he said that, uh, he was actually hoping Colorado was going to pull it off, like steal a few games from Detroit. And uh, when Detroit won, he went outside and his like, wife asked him what was wrong. He's like, we can't beat those guys. You know, he just kind of had it in his head. I mean, you're right. That Detroit team was just incredibly stacked. The Russian Five, we've talked about them many times on this show. But uh, go, go ahead, Christy. Yeah. Go ahead, Christy. Oh, my turn. Um so I have two, so I'm trying to decide which one, but I want to kind of, I want to kind of ask the question, you know, I have two young boys that play the sport and, um, you know, it's, it's been an incredible journey, you know, thus far. I think, you know, when you, when you sit down now and kind of look back at your, your playing career and you go back to that rink with the chicken wire and you think about those days, like what advice or what kind of, I guess, what advice would you give to a young hockey player today? Well, I mean, when I see those guys and they ask for, you know, that kind of stuff, I, I just say, you know, it's a game. You're supposed to have fun uh, and make sure you're always having fun. It, it's just a game. It doesn't matter what level you're playing. Uh, it, it's to have fun. Obviously, it's competitive and you can take it as far as you want. But if it loses being fun, um, it becomes a job. And I don't think, to me, um, you don't get as far. Um, you know, I see guys when they come to the league, and you can tell the guys that, they generally love the game. They just love the game. Uh, and you see guys that are, they're good. They know how to play, uh, but they could care less. 
and they don't last as long just because you got to have that drive. You got to have that love for the game, I think, to be, to be successful uh, for a long time. So we'll get you out of here with this. Um, I, I want to know, like, what was your thoughts when you got traded from Montreal? I'm sure, like, the first time you're traded, it's always a big shock. And then, uh, you know, after that, tell us about the John LeClaire Foundation. Uh, if anybody wants to donate to that, it's P.O. Box 4105, St. Albans, Vermont, 05478. And you'll get some info on that in a minute. Um, when I got traded from Montreal, I mean, obviously, I was still fairly young in the league. I was my fourth year in the league. And um, I heard rumors and stuff. But uh, when I got the call, I was surprised, I was surprised shocked. Um, I was disappointed at first. I, I love Montreal. I just won a cup two years before that. Um, I grew up an hour north, I mean, sort of south, just to the border. Um, so, you know, Montreal was, it was home for me for the, you know, those four years I was comfortable. I really liked it there. Um, but once we got on the plane, we got here to Philly. Um, you know, they treated you really well. They took care of you, made you feel comfortable right away. And, um, you know, the way things went on the ice, um, you know, right away, uh, there was a connection with, with Michael and, and uh, Eric and I and uh, turned into a, a hell of a season uh, for the end of that uh, lockout season. And, uh, you know, I thought we had a chance to win the Cup that year. Um, you know, we let in a few bad goals in the quarterfinals against uh, – the semifinals against um, uh, Jersey, but uh, it was one of those things. So um, – but I was, I was surprised. But uh, when I got here, it didn't take long to be on a flyer, and uh, uh, they made me feel really comfortable at home here. So it was a, it was a good transition. And, and tell us about your charity. Um, so when I was in Montreal my second year, um, a friend of mine at home, Mark McGinn, came up to me and he's like, hey, uh, you know, being a Vermont playing in the NHL, I think maybe you could capitalize a little bit on this and, and do something if you wanted to get involved. And, uh, you know, so we, we did a charity golf tournament and uh, we strictly raised money for youth organizations throughout the state of Vermont. So it's geared at you know, kids after school programs, we buy computers for a lab uh, that does, um, you know, the probably handicapped um, handicapped kids that need the computer chairs, those kind of things, we'll buy those kind of things. So it's all directed at the kids uh, of Vermont, those charities. And um, we did it for 10 years. We held a golf tournament. Uh, each year we raise money. Um, we would hand out half of it in grants and we uh, invested the other half so that uh, when we stopped, which we did it for 10 years, and when we stopped, we uh, kept, we were able to keep allocating grants out, and uh, we've been doing it ever since. Uh, so we stopped back in, uh, we stopped back in 2001, and we've still been given grants uh, for the past 20 years, um, you know, uh, every uh, fall. And again, you can donate to the John LeClaire Foundation at P.O. Box 4105. St. Albans, Vermont, 05478. Thank you, John, so much for joining us tonight. Honored to have a Legion of Doom member here. That's, that's hey, uh, insane. I appreciate it, guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you guys asked great questions, and uh, I learned a lot about those playoff runs. Uh, you know, it was, it was great going back and uh, remembering those runs. Uh, you guys all did a great job with that. Everybody watches. Yeah. Make sure you hit subscribe. Have a good night.